Amen. Well, so excited for this morning, for the Lord has for us, and uh, just enjoyed the worship this morning. Let's remember, as was already prayed, that worship doesn't stop when the music stops. Amen. Uh, when we go before his word, we're worshiping just as much as when we're worshiping him through song and through prayer and through offering. And so excited for this morning. Uh, I do want to say as well, it is so great to have uh, Pastor Nathan and Abby Whipple with us um, this morning. Good to have you guys with us. Thank you for being here today. Um, I will refrain as much as possible from saying anything snarky, sarcastic, backhanded about Nathan. I, I know I should. You know... I have to say, though, because once I get into the message, it's not real godly to kind of work that in. You know, that's not real spiritual. Um, see, right there, when I said that, a comment came in my head about, and the Lord was like, not that one. Okay, Lord, we won't go there. Um, I will say, though, uh, some of you remember Pastor Nathan was with us here um, a couple, maybe two, two months ago, something like that, visiting with us. It wasn't that long ago. Um, and Abby was not with him. So this morning, it's even better to have them with us. Because Abby's here. So it's great to have Nathan, but he de she definitely kind of complements the package where it's a little more acceptable, so we appreciate that. Um, no, be praying for these guys uh, getting ready to, in July, I believe, June, July, to be moving down south there. And so be praying for these guys as they make that transition. Going to miss them, uh, but it's been so good. Um, Pastor Nathan and I have been friends probably since around 2000, somewhere in there, 2001. Um, back in the college class uh, here at North Goodland. And uh, so just so great to continue to grow with those guys and to minister with them in ministry. Uh, it's just so exciting to have friends in ministry together. It makes a huge difference and impact. And so uh, this morning, uh, we are continuing our series. We are in week six of our series, looking at the church's calling in the world today, as well as our calling as individual followers of Christ when we gather as the church. So there's two main points we've been trying to really kind of unpack and discover through these last six weeks. Really, it's this. So in the world, the church, the body of Christ has a calling to impact the world for Christ. And so what does that look like? How does that play out? But then also there's an aspect of our calling as followers of Christ that when we come together as the body of Christ and worship as a gathering, what are some things that we need to be thinking about as far as how to interact with each other, how to encourage each other, pray for and with one another. And so we've uncovered a lot of things with that. I pray the greatest truth that we will leave this series with, and, and this is week six. Originally, this was going to be the last week of the series. Uh, usually, our missionaries will take the whole morning, and that was kind of the plan, but he has shared with me that uh, they're, willing, they're going to do a little sharing and all of that, but, but he honestly said, hey, I would love to just kind of be able to sit in a church and hear some preaching. And so if you're willing to do that, so we're going to kind of extend this a little bit to next week. And so we'll kind of finish the series up next week officially. But the greatest truth that I pray that we will leave this series with, if you can't get anything else out of this series, I pray this is a truth that you'll take home with you, that the church is primarily for Jesus. That the church is primarily for Jesus. The church is primarily not for you. Uh, the church is primarily not for me. The church is primarily not for the world. And I know we hear that a lot. The church is here to love the world and to impact the world and to do good things in the world and to serve the world and feed the poor and, and minister to the orphans and the widows. And all those things are obviously very, very vital and important to the church's function in the world today. Uh, we were just able to celebrate here at the end of April our 20 first, 21st annual Widows Widowers Banquet. And we were able to invite 71 widows and widowers from our community and serve them and minister to them and, and lead them in worship and just spend some time loving on them. That is hugely important for the cause of Christ in the world today. But primarily, the church does not exist for them. See, this is where we get so off track, and it's easy to think, well, the, the church is really for me. So we come into a church, and if the church is for me, then everything the church does better please me. So the music better be what I like. The service length, come on, better be what I like. And I've told you guys before, you guys think you got it bad. I know churches that go like two hours of preaching. Hey, hallelujah, praise the Lord, somebody. 
But no, we, we think about these things. If the church is for me, then the programs are for me. Whether I utilize those ministries or not, they just need to be available because I may want to utilize them one day. So they better be there for when I want them. And so you see how quickly we can shift away from what the church is really about, which is Jesus, and we shift it to me or my wants and my desires, and then you wonder why churches start bickering and fighting over things in in their congregations because they lost the focus on Christ. Of course, we do ministries for people in our church. We have amazing children's ministries. I absolutely love what the Lord is doing in our children's ministries on Wednesday nights and on Sunday mornings with our junior church, our nursery workers. I love this morning, Miss Avi did a a reading time with the kids and had a a time with them and all of that. And I love that. That's for the church. Of course, it's for you. It's for your children. It's for your blessing. But if we don't remember, it's primarily for Jesus And then everything we do falls out of that. If we flip that around, we're going to fall and falter as a church. And we're going to kind of devolve into more of a keeping the customers happy so they'll come back. Instead of encouraging the body of Christ and the word of God for the glory of God. It can quickly happen where churches start wanting to do surveys and make customers happy and just get repeat clientele and and just keep everyone happy and make sure we got some money in the bank. And it it can shift so quickly in church culture today. We've covered a lot of ground over the last five weeks leading into this week. And so if you missed any of the services, you can go online, northgoodland.org. You can also go on our app, Northgoodland BC, uh, in your app store. Get all the messages on there as well. Also, if you'd like to follow along with notes today, you can go on our app under Media Sermon Notes. You can find there's a link there for notes for the message this morning. But we've covered a lot of ground, and we've talked about some very important things that that the church is for Jesus. Why? Because it's founded by Christ, number one. He is the foundation of our gathering. Him and his person He is divine, the God-man, the one who came to seek and to save that which was lost. The confession that Peter makes in Matthew, that you are the Christ, that is the foundation upon which he builds his church. He's not only the foundation of the church, he's the source of the church, the head of the church. Paul says that he is the head, the origin or source of the body. So we are founded on Christ The source of the church is in Christ. We as the body and bride of Christ, as we covered, we find all of our guidance and direction from the head. And again, to any, obviously, men here today, I know that sounds really weird to say the church is the body or the bride of Christ. As we said last week, the church is only collectively seen as the bride of Christ, not individually. So any men here, please don't be weirded out by that. You are not individually the bride of Christ. Okay, I know that's weird for some of us to think about. But collectively, we are the bride of Christ. And how beautiful that is, as we talked about last week, that he is coming again to receive us unto himself. That where he is, we will be also, John 14. What a blessing to know that he will receive us unto himself. And that when he does, he will present to himself a glorious church, a spotless, pure church, washed of all sin, completely holy, completely cleansed. Not because we cleansed ourselves, but because the spotless lamb of God died on the cross, was buried and rose again, and we placed our faith and trust in that and received, it was imputed to us, it was given to us, the righteousness of Christ, as he took our sinfulness upon himself. You don't earn salvation. If you're here today and you grew up in a church where you were basically told, yeah, you're saved by faith, but then you're taught to basically keep your salvation by what you do or don't do or performance-driven Christianity, I'm here to set you free from the reality or into the reality that you are saved by grace. You are kept by grace for his glory alone. You're not saved because of what you can do for him. You can do nothing for him. All we bring to the table in that transaction that is salvation is the sin needed to be forgiven. That's it. We bring the brokenness, the sinfulness, the wretchedness, and he says, I'll take that and give you my righteousness, and I'll call you my son and my daughter. And see, we are the church, the body and bride of Christ. So this morning, I want to dive into a very familiar passage, and we've kind of talked about some familiar passages Many of us have read these passages dealing with the church or the body of Christ. And my fear is that we've grown too familiar with them and we've lost some of the the meat of them, the intent of them practically in our lives. 
And so this morning, I want us to discover that the church is living and active. Living and active. Go to Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts chapter 2. We're going to read verses 42 through 47. Again, very familiar passage. If you've been in church or a Christian for very long, you've probably studied this or read this or come across this before. But Acts chapter 2. And if you are uh, using one of the Bibles provided, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, um, maybe on a device or in print, in the chairs in front of you and around you, there are some Bibles available. If you'd like to use one of those, uh, you can just turn to page 765. If you're using one of the Bibles provided in the seats there, you can just turn to page 765. Acts chapter 2. Again, as I try to say, if you're using one of the Bibles that are not in the seats in front of you, your own Bible, I have no idea what page you turn to. I'm on page 790, so maybe you'll be somewhere in that neighborhood. But as we always say, if you can't find it and I start reading, just hold your Bible open roughly about two-thirds through, and no one around you will know, and they'll just think you know where you're doing. Sometimes we just do open it real quick, but mm-hmm, I'm there already. What are you doing? You're in like... John or Luke, and just hold it really close like this, and no one will know. Some of you have to do this anyway. You're like, just kidding, just kidding. I'll be there. I know, I'll be there one day. I'm going to have to get this pulpit raised a little bit, like kind of get down on it. Oh, okay, that's what it says. So Acts chapter 2, let's look into God's word this morning in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I know Pastor Greg prayed, but let's pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Father, we ask that as your word goes forth, that we'd be responsive to it. Holy Spirit, we don't have to convince you or talk you into working in our midst this morning. You're already present. You're already active. You're already doing the things that the word of God says you are and will do. I believe that you are convicting those that need to be convicted of their sin, their need for you. I believe that you are convicting followers of Christ that maybe have drifted into apathy or sinful behaviors that are unrepentant. Lord, you're you're working in that spirit. And and I also believe that you are, for the Christians that are here today, that are excited for you and and on fire for you, they're just... They just hunger for you and your word and for your presence. And and they're just so excited to be in your midst this morning. And they're just worshiping you and rejoicing in you. I believe that you're also encouraging them, strengthening that resolve, calling them to a deeper walk with you, encouraging them and their their desires for you and all these things and, and many more things that maybe we can't even really list. You're working in our midst. And I am so thankful for that. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd open our hearts and minds to the word before us so that we would understand it in a way that it would be not just Sunday morning understood, not just in church where we can nod our heads and say amen and, and those things which are fine, but it would go deeper than that. It would, it would translate to a daily application of how we see our practical lives lived out before you. We pray that you would work in the hearts of those that need Christ, that they would come to know that it's not about doing good things or being a good person. It's about trusting the finished work of the cross to believe in the gospel, to trust in Christ and not in themselves. And for the follower of Christ here today, Lord, that is wandering in some sin or or distant from you, I pray that you would draw them unto repentance, that they would know that whatever lie they believe to lead them down that road, it will only lead to destruction. It will never lead to joy and peace and only the things that we find in Christ. And so I pray that you would work in all of this for your glory as we give you all the praise, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, the early church, this is a great summary of the early church. This is not exhaustive. 
This is not all that the church was doing, but it's a good exa- or a good summary passage that Luke gives us. Luke being the author of the book of Acts. Um, Luke also obviously writes the gospel of Luke. And so Luke is giving for us an account of the early church, kind of talking through some things the church was known for, the church is actively doing. Now, I do need to say that in the book of Acts, this is somewhat of a transitional book. That means there are things that happen in the book of Acts that we don't see repeated, or we see slowly start to move off the scene of the New Testament. And so here we see some things taking place, namely these signs and wonders done by the apostles. Now, the apostles were chosen of Christ, selected of Christ, the only apostle not chosen in person would be the one that took Judas's place. And obviously Paul is chosen later um, as apostle out of time, he calls himself. But these acts and these signs and wonders we see were done by the apostles. There are no apostles today. We know that that title gets used. Some would say, oh, apostle so-and-so. Um, our church believes that there are no more apostles. That when the apostles stepped off the scene, the leadership of the church was handed over to pastors and elders and bishops. Those are all the same office to be under shepherds in the church. And then obviously in the church, we have deacons who come alongside and serve with the pastors. And so we see that leadership begin to transition. And so just saying that to say, when we read signs and wonders, we live in a day and age today where a lot of things are portrayed to be works of the spirit. However, if we really get beyond the surface, we'll find out that many of these things are not truly works of the Spirit. They're merely overhyped emotionalism or different signs or things like that that I would say are fabrications of the Spirit. They're not true movings of the Spirit. To say that, that doesn't mean the Spirit doesn't move today. He very much does. He very much is active in the world today through the church. I'm just saying let's be careful and guarded against just because somebody says it's the Holy Spirit doesn't mean it was or is the Holy Spirit, okay? Because, again, there's a lot of things getting credited to or really the Holy Spirit's getting blamed for that I have very, I have very small reason to believe he has anything to do with them, okay? And so, again, just saying that to kind of put that kind of out there before we dive into the text, Now, when you look at this passage, you're going to see the church was living and active. They were also healthy. They were not perfect. We look at the early church and we go, oh, they were perfect. They did everything right all the time. No, there's no such thing as a perfect church. Even the early church wasn't perfect. And how can I definitively say there's no such thing as a perfect church? Because who are in churches? Us. Forgiven, cleansed, washed followers of Christ who still are tempted to sin and do foolish, silly things. And so there's no such thing as a perfect church. We're not talking about the early church in the sense of over-romanticizing it and saying, oh, they were just so perfect. We do this a lot with our own personal history, don't we? When you were younger, you look back, and if you're not careful, you tend to think, and people say this, oh, this was so much better when I was a kid. Movies, music, whatever it might be. Now, some of that is proven to be a little more true and true as we go through time. Okay, I'll agree with that. But we do this a lot. We just, just because it was back then, it's better. That's not what we're doing with the early church. They had their faults. They had their problems. They had a lot of things they had to work out. Even the apostle Peter had some prejudice he had to work out towards some Gentiles. We see that in Acts chapter 10. And so again, we're not using the early church as a perfect example. We're merely using this example from the word of God to say the early church began as living, active, and healthy. So if you want to check your overall health personally, you want to find out just in an overall sense, am I healthy? Am I doing okay? There are some very basic general things that we can do to check our overall health. One of those things is getting our vitals checked. If you've ever spent any time around a hospital, doctor's office, anything like that, one of the first things they will do is check your vitals. And it gives them a very quick, easy kind of overview of your physical health. The four main vitals that are usually taken are blood pressure, breathing rate, temperature, and pulse rate. Those are usually four things they'll check relatively quickly to find out just in a general quick snapshot overview how you're doing with your health. And many of us have had those done. I've spent, I was in a car accident years ago and I spent a lot of time in the hospital. I used to get so frustrated. They'd come in all hours of the night to check my vitals, to check my vitals. And it can be really frustrating, but they need to do that to find out how are we doing? And they'll do it more than once to track and see, okay, you were great yesterday. You're good today. And okay, tomorrow we'll check again and see if you're okay. You guys tracking with me? Pretty, pretty simple stuff, right? 
But spiritually speaking, I think we need to check our vitals as well. And I think we as the church, we need to check the vitals of our church occasionally. From time to time, stop and pause and give some quick kind of vital checks of our church. Now, the difference is, when we say that we need to check the vitals of our church, a lot of people go, yes, and they'll start being critical of someone else in the church. They'll be critical of a pastor or a preacher. I just shared a video this week of Adrian Rogers, who was talking about the problem of, of discouraging younger people being in churches because oftentimes the family members, the parents, they go to church super irregularly. So they've not set a pattern of consistency before their children. They've not shown that it's vital to be there, important to be there. So then the kids think, well, I can just skip church as much as I want. Or the other thing is parents will take their kids and drop their kids off at church and in essence say, do what I say, but not what I do because you should be in church, but I don't have to be because I'm an adult. And then those kids become adults and go, I don't got to go to church anymore. That's, that's one of the things that we see happens. The other thing is that oftentimes people will get home from church and have, as Adrian Rogers calls it, roast preacher or roast whoever they happen to be upset about that morning. And they'll have those conversations, critical conversations about other people in the church in front of their children. And then they wonder why their children aren't excited to serve and join and and fellowship with the church. Well, you've just completely berated the church. You've just completely berated the preacher. Why would your children want to have a hand in that? That doesn't make sense. And so here we understand that when we talk about checking the vitals and the overall health of a church, the uniqueness of the churches, it starts individually. I have to check my spiritual vitals before I can even think about the greater church health or vitals, if you will. So if you'll bear with me, I want to kind of use that idea this morning as just an illustration of how we can check our vitals as a church. Again, this means since we are a body made up of various members, that the health of the body starts with the individual members evaluating their own walk with Christ. And so what are the vitals that we can check to see if a church is healthy? What are some vitals? And I gave you the physical vitals that usually get checked. So what are some spiritual vitals that we can draw from the text to see how we're doing as a church and really how we're doing as individuals? Now, do not be afraid. If you're using the notes and you've looked in the notes, you've already seen that the title or the point of this is seven vitals of a healthy church. Some of you, the minute you read the number or saw the word seven, chills went down your spine. You thought to yourself, that's not happening this morning. We'll be fine. Just hold on. We'll be okay. So seven vitals of a healthy church. And we're going to draw these right from Acts chapter two, some things that we see here present and prevalent in the early church. The first thing we see is vital teaching, vital teaching. So verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now, fellowship, we're going to get to that next week a little bit more. We're going to kind of unpack that a little bit more, fellowship in the church, how it's different than just fellowship with friends, watching a game or doing a hobby or an activity, because there is a difference between those two things. Then he says this, and in breaking of bread and in prayers... So fellowship will be next week. We're actually going to talk about breaking of bread in a little bit here because what are we doing this morning? We're celebrating the Lord's Supper. Now, we're not physically breaking bread. It's already broken for you in little tiny squares, okay? But this is the idea that we're celebrating communion. We're coming together as the body of Christ, and we see that even instituted in the early church. Now, some have taken that to mean that they just merely had meals together. That could be what it's talking to as well. An actual meal, and then at the end of that meal, they would have a time of what we call communion. Either way, there's this intimate gathering of believers coming around the remembrance of Christ's body being broken for us and his blood being spilled. And so, again, we see that even in the early church. But I want to focus on that first part. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. In the apostles' doctrine. Now, the word doctrine just means teaching or instruction. Basically, the apostles taught the infant church, the new early church, what Christ taught them. And that was the instructions Christ left with them. We see this, for example, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, right? Teach unto them. Teach these things that I've given you. Teach them. 
Acts 1.8 talks about them being witnesses of Christ. Also, not only what he taught them when he was with them physically, but we obviously believe that he taught them and continued to teach them through his Holy Spirit, revealing the word of God to him or to them. That they received, Peter, John, Paul, they received direct revelation from the Spirit of God and they penned that as the word of God. Side note here. This is another reason why we believe there are no apostles. The line of apostles did not continue because there is no new revelation being given from the Father. And that is a dangerous, dangerous road that so many people have gone down. Well-intentioned Christians have begun to think that, that this individual has received somehow actual direct revelation from God. That is so dangerous. Because the moment that person's personal revelation contradicts the known revelation of God, now we have an impasse. Who do we believe? Who do we trust? Who's right? Well, I can give you with all assurity, the one we trust is the word of God. This is the foundation of all we preach and all we want to live by for God's glory. This is our standard of faith. This is where everything comes from that we know of God, to worship God, and to grow in him. And so again, we have to be careful there. But these individuals received direct revelation from God and wrote scripture. So what do we as the church then, or as individuals, how do we grow in this understanding? Well, we need to give ourselves to consistent time before God's word being taught by God's word. Our teaching as a church is important in a day of tolerance versus repentance. We must be built upon the word of God as a church and as individuals. Our thinking must be shaped by the word of God, not by culture, not by opinion, not by emotion, not by feelings of what we think about something. It all is subject to the word of God. I saw an illustration and I won't do it because I can't bring myself to do something like this. I understand why the individual did it was he took a Bible and he said, it's one of two things. And he placed the Bible on the ground and he stepped on the Bible. And that just, I, I can't, I understand why he did it for illustration, but he made the point. He said, it's either I'm over the word and I'm the authority over the word, or he took the Bible and he held it over his, held it over his head and he said, or I'm under the word. There's only one of two options. We don't get to choose a third option. Either we fall in submission to the word of God as the revealed word of God, or we tell the word what it says. We conform it to what we want. And we see this all over Christianity today in an effort to seem loving. And I say seem loving because it's not loving to deny truth and lead people into destruction. It's loving to say the hard things, the harsh things, the real things, but said in love because you want, as God wants, the best for them. And so again, the teaching of the church is vitally important that we must have vital teaching. You see, we don't need from pulpits in America today just clever illustrations that are all they are. I'm not opposed to illustrations. Obviously, we've used tons of illustrations over the years. Some better than others. Amen, Pastor Nathan? You got an illustration? This is going to be awesome. And then you do it, and they're all just kind of like, that was weird. <laughs> Moving on. Let's just keep going, okay? So illustrations are fine. But, you know, we live in a church culture today. It's so funny to me that so often the and again, this is not a critique of the individual. It's a critique of the teaching. We've got to be okay with this. We can critique teaching and still respect the teacher. Amen? There's many people that teach things that I disagree with, but I don't know their heart. I don't know them as a person. I'm not attacking them. I'm saying that teaching is dangerous. We've lost this in our world today. You either accept the whole package or you reject the whole package. And that's not, that's not even logical, let alone true. But you've heard teaching, I've heard teaching where it's these kind of quick little one-line Instagram, you know, twit, tweeter things, Twitter things, tweet things, whatever you call them, right? It's just all about getting some likes and some attention, these little quick little funny little things. Man, where's the meat in that? There's some guys that I've kind of called seven-word preachers. And I, I think of that because when praise and worship was really becoming popular in the church, some of the older school individuals said, it's just those 7 songs, you know, seven words 11 times. And I was like, I kind of like that song. Why are you ripping on my song? I like that song. 
But some preachers are this way. It's just like the same phrase. And they think because they say it louder and more dramatically and people start cheering and getting excited that somehow it has more meat to it. We need the word as our foundation. If you come to hear some, something from me, some of my opinion, you're going to leave disappointed every time. Because it's not lasting. There's no substance to it. We need depth in the word. So our teaching is vital. Number two. So vital teaching, we also need to understand vital prayer. Vital prayer. Verse 42, when you look there at the verse we read, it ends with, it says, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, what do we notice about these prayers? Well, the first thing we notice is that these prayers of the early church are listed right along with the teaching and preaching. What does that tell us? That they are of equal value and importance. Preaching and teaching is not greater than prayer. I've heard people say, well, just pray. It's the least you can do. Oh, no. Prayer is the most you can do. It is the best thing you can do is to pray for someone, for a situation, to intercede for someone. Notice, too, that they prayed together as a church, not just individually prayed, which is needed and important. Again, individual starts first. But we pray as a church together. This was worship for them. Uh, I love what John Gill says in his commentary on this passage. He says this, not only in their closets and in their families, but in the church, in the public prayers of the church, they observed all opportunities of this kind and gladly embraced them. You see later the apostle Paul in Ephesians one and Ephesians three, he actually shares with the church, his prayers for them. Also in Ephesians six, he asks them to pray for him regarding his boldness in preaching and sharing. He spends two chapters or parts of two chapters saying, I'm praying for you. Here's specifically what I can pray for you. And if you're looking for something, by the way, to pray over a brother or sister in Christ, go to Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, and begin praying that over them, praying God's word over them. But he doesn't just stop by saying, I'm praying for you. He writes to the church. He says, hey, will you pray for me? And he doesn't just say, just pray some general God bless him prayer. He says, would you pray specifically that I would be able to have boldness and say what I ought to say when the opportunity comes? The Apostle Paul writes a third of the New Testament, established churches all over the known world. And yet he says, you know what I really need prayer on? That I'm bold in speaking for Christ. If there's somebody that you would assume does not need boldness to be prayed for them, it's the Apostle Paul. But that's the thing he asks for. Why? Because we see God using him in spite of his own weakness. That tells me Paul struggled with that boldness, that he, he knew his temptation humanly was to pull back, but the Spirit of God gave him strength and boldness to speak out. And so here we see prayer as being so vital to the church, and to be honest, a marker of our healthiness as a church. This is why we have opportunities here, like Sunday morning gap, where you can go down the hallway here, south end of the building, and spend time before church just praying in a room, either by yourself or with your spouse or whatever it is, and just getting your heart and mind ready for the word. And this is why on Wednesday nights, we'll pray at the beginning and end of our service, and then we'll break for about 15, 20 minutes and spend time in prayer. The ladies go into one classroom, the men go into another room. Uh, uh, praise the Lord. The, the, the group's gotten kind of too big for the one room we were using, so we don't pray together. We, we separate out and we pray as two groups. But why do we do that? Because prayer is vital. Why do we pray on Sunday morning, sometimes three, four times on a Sunday morning, and a couple times? Because prayer is vital. We need to engage him and his spirit so that he would work in our hearts and minds because we can't work beyond the surface. Prayer is engaging God and his will for his glory. Prayer is simply engaging God for his will to be done in my life or in the life of someone else in a situation. And why? So he is glorified. So vital teaching, vital prayer. Thirdly, vital grace. Vital grace. Look at verse 43. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Now, when I was reading through this passage and trying to prayerfully consider how to structure this and word this, this is what came to my mind, is that this idea of vital grace. And how do I, why do I label it that way? Because the results in verse 43, I truly believe, come from what we see in verse 42. That in 
understanding the apostles' doctrine, giving themselves to the teaching of God's word, coming together in, in communion and fellowship and praying and asking God to work in their lives and through the community. This is the result of what we see. God answered their prayer. And what was the result of this prayer being answered is doing signs and wonders and many things and teaching the people were left in awe. You see, God moving through the apostles was an act of grace to use them this way so others will know Christ. It's an act of grace that God would use any of us, especially me. And I'm, I'm filled with weakness and inability, insecurities. We all have had moments where God has called us to something and we go, there's no way, Lord, that I can even begin to think about doing that. You know, it's amazing. I was talking to somebody this week. I just found out who's volunteering in one of our children's ministries, and I didn't realize they were doing it at a longer stretch. I thought they were just kind of doing it a one-time thing. And, and I said, man, I just want to let you know I really appreciate you doing that, stepping in and, and serving in that area. And their response was amazing. They said, no, 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 no. I'm blessed to be a part of this church, to serve this church. Man, that's amazing. And by the way, I wrote back to them, that'll preach and it did. So we're good. I followed my word. I told him it would preach and it did. But man, the grace of God is evidence, not just in saving us, but in his ability to use and form us to the image of Christ. Then Ephesians chapter two and verse seven, you don't need to turn there, but you can jot it down or it's in your notes that his grace is on display through us. Why? So that all generations would come to see the riches of his grace. So my question to you this morning is, you don't answer out loud, but are you displaying grace? Remember, displaying grace does not mean compromising the word or accepting sinful behavior. That is not displaying grace. Displaying grace is being willing to forgive those that have sinned against you and pray for them. Does it mean you continue to allow sinful behavior to be done to you? You don't allow that person to have an influence over your life if they're a negative influence in your Christian life, but it does mean you can forgive them and you can pray for God to work in their situation. Again, are we displaying grace? Fourthly, vital giving. Vital giving. Look at verses 44 through 45. And all that believed were together and had all things common. This doesn't mean that they lost their own unique personalities. They weren't uniformed, they were united. Okay, they, weren't, they, they still were individuals, unique talents, gifts, and abilities, background, personalities, but they were coming together under a common banner, and that's the person and work of Jesus Christ. Verse 45. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now, this is uh, not the only time we see this kind of generosity in the early church. Another example would be Acts chapter 5. We see that again talked about there. But I also want to note here that this amazing act of generosity was not commanded by the apostles. Nowhere does it say that Peter got up and said, Okay, guys, we've been doing this thing now for a couple of weeks. Give me your stuff. He doesn't do that. Sell your stuff and give us your money. Do you see that this is something that just was a byproduct of Prayer, being under the word of God, community, seeing needs, seeing God work through grace in the community. And again, it was a byproduct of this. Also note that they did willingly what the rich young ruler would not do by command. They did willingly what the rich young ruler would not do by command. Jesus said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. And he walked away sad. These individuals, because they were followers of Christ, because they were so committed to him and understood there was a need, they joyfully did this as a response to what they have received in grace. Now, again, many will say that this is not for the church today. Although they would say giving to the poor is important, we can't really be expected to sell our house or land and give it to the poor. And to be honest, in the Western church, we here preached quite the opposite. In fact, God is your personal genie. And if you speak and believe, if you receive, then he will make it happen. And your bank account will always be full. You'll never get sick. I'm always amazed when these individuals don't go to places like Iran and Iraq and preach this nonsense. Because it's not true. Yes, God will bless you. God will give you things and, and do things in your life you can't even imagine. 
But then sometimes God will allow you to go through a season where you have some wants. It gets a little tighter financially. And that doesn't mean God has turned his back on you. You've lost, quote, the favor of God or any other terms you've heard. No, we trust him and we follow him in the blessing and we trust him and follow him in the seasons of want. Because we don't worship him for the gifts. We worship him because of who he is, as our savior. The early church, again, was vastly different in their mindset than many churches today. It wasn't about getting from God. It was about giving. Again, am I saying that all of us should sell our stuff and give it to the poor? I'm not saying that because, again, I can't command you to do that. But I would just ask you this. If the Spirit of God led in your life to do that, would you even entertain the thought? That's really more the gauge where I think my healthiness needs to be is would I even consider it? Matthew Henry says in his commentary, the greatness of this event raised them, them being the apostles, the early church, above the world. And the Holy Ghost filled them with such love as made everyone to be to another as to himself. I love that line. As made everyone to be to another as to himself. And so made all things common, not by destroying property, but doing away with selfishness and causing charity. Vital giving is a mark of a healthy church. Vital community, moving on. Vital community. Look at verse 46. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. I love that phrase, singleness of heart. That they were come together. Again, do you see the theme in these verses? All things common, coming together, unified. Again, do you think there's people in this group that don't like each other? Most likely. There's people in our church, if we're being honest, and people have been in our church, that there's somebody else in the church that kind of irritates you at times. Because we're humans, and we have personalities, and we have differences of opinion on things. But do you see that none of those simple little things distracted from the overall cause of the church? Yeah, I don't agree with so-and-so, or I don't think so-and-so's right on this, but we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we can come together under that banner, and we can rejoice, and we can worship, and we can fellowship, we can encourage each other, we can serve along each, with, alongside with each other, and we can see God do great things, even though there's times I don't get along with, in our understanding, so-and-so. And I love that in the early church. The key word in verse 46 that deals with community is this word accord. The word accord. As you study this word out, it's interesting. This word literally means with one mind, with one accord, with one passion. It's a unique Greek word used 11 of its 12 New Testament occurrences in the book of Acts. The 12th time it's used is actually in Romans 15. Verse 6, again, speaking to that idea of how we interact with the church. This word helps us to understand the uniqueness of the Christian community. The word for one accord is a compound word of two words. And it literally translates to rush along in unison. To rush along in unison. The image is actually almost musical. If you study this out, the New Testament Greek lexicon gives us this background of this idea that the image itself of this word is almost musical. A number of notes are sounded, which, while different, harmonize in pitch and tone. And as the instruments of a great concert under the direction of a concert master, so the Holy Spirit blends together the lives of members of Christ's church. And isn't that wonderful? That we're all unique. Now, I won't tell you what instrument I am in the band, but I'm in the back a little off key, okay? That's me. I'm the one that needs to have a little attention done to it to get it back in line. Like, you know, when my sons was in, uh, my sons, actually, both of them were in fifth grade band. You ever go to a fifth grade band concert? Who's ever been to a fifth grade band concert? Okay. That's, if you took that sound and put it in one instrument, that's me. Amen. You know, that kind of stuff, okay? I'm just that guy. 
But I love that the church, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, all those unique instruments, all those unique sounds, all those unique notes coming together, harmonizing together. And what's the result? A masterpiece that glorifies the Savior, the head of the church. And the world sits back and thinks, wow, like that's community. That's what it is to love one another. Again, does it mean we always get along and agree with everything? No, but we come together in that way. The message paraphrases verse 46 and 47 in a way that I thought was really kind of cool. I like this. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praise God. People in general liked what they saw Every day, their number grew as God added those who were saved. Last two points quickly. We see here in verse 47, vital worship. Vital worship. You see the five points before can be summed up in the beginning of verse 47. Look at it with me. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Praising God. If you had to summarize verses 42 through 46, you could summarize it by saying they were praising God. How were they praising God? Well, they joined in communion. They were praying. They were teaching and preaching. They were doing the work of God for the glory of God. They were giving to the needs of the poor. They were coming together in community in one accord to worship and praise and sing. And in all of it, they praised God. Now, I've said it before, you've heard it before, that worship is not an act, it's a lifestyle. But here we see this worship of God play out in the real world. Also note, where did, they worship, where did this worship take place? It didn't just take place in church, it took place in their lives, daily lives, in their homes, over dinner, at the store, at work, at school, wherever it was, they worshiped God. And again, nowadays people say, well, good, great. Then I can worship God anywhere. I don't have to go to church. Well, to be honest, you don't have to go to church to be a believer. And I've said this a couple times in this series, and it bears repeating again. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but you also don't have to go home to be married. But if you stay away long enough, it's going to affect your relationship. And that's the truth of followers of Christ. So many Christians are almost looking for reasons to not attend in our culture today. And I don't read that in the New Testament. The New Testament believers that I read about, they couldn't wait to gather together. They were hungry to gather together. They wanted to be under the preaching and teaching of God's word. They wanted to serve each other. They desired it. And we live in a church culture where we have to go to conferences as pastors to learn how to get Christians to go to church. That's nonsense. It's foolishness. Because we think the church is primarily about us. But if it's about Jesus, then our worship will reflect that priority. Last point seven, vital witness. Vital witness. It's there in verse 47. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You see, this didn't just happen because God said, okay, I'm going to add to the church and the church has no part in this. And we're going to finish unpacking John chapter one, a passage we looked at last week. And talking about when, when Philip was called to follow Christ and Jesus pursued Philip and sought Philip out and called Philip. And then when Philip tells Nathaniel, he says, hey, come, we found the Messiah. So did Jesus find Philip or did Philip find Jesus? Yes. Jesus pursued Philip and called him and Philip responded in faith. And so in a similar sense, yes, obviously God, by the work of the Holy Spirit, does all the work unto salvation. He draws us to repentance. He convicts our hearts of sins. He opens us up to the word of God and the need of salvation. But we are called to preach the gospel to every creature. It's not we sit back and go, okay, God, you got this. Of course he could do it that way. Of course he is God that way. But we are called to preach the gospel, to have a hand in this work. And that is exactly what Acts 1-8 talks about. Be my witness. Go forth and preach the gospel. Romans chapter 10, how will they hear, how will they believe, unless there is a preacher? Unless somebody preaches to them, how will they hear the name of Christ and be saved? Again, it's not us doing the work taking the place of the Holy Spirit, Mark chapter 16, verse 20, and they went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord 
working with them. See, we preach and he works in us and he works in us so that we'll preach the gospel and be a witness. Acts 2, 42 through 47 is a model of a healthy and authentic faith community, a context of people which in faith not only grow in Christ, but grow together. You see, we are called to preach Christ in our world today as the unified body of Christ, to be moving in one accord under the direction of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. And again, this morning, we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and this is another key and vital part of a healthy church. Paul says it this way, you do show the Lord's death till he come. And that's what we want to do this morning. We want to show the truth of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins for any who would call upon his name. And so let's do this. We're going to have a time of invitation, a song of invitation, and we want to invite you, whether you want to come forward at the altar or there in your seats, I want to invite you to respond by faith to what God is doing. And I'm going to ask that you'd begin to prepare your heart and mind for this time of communion, this time of coming together. If you don't know Christ, we ask that you would come to know him by receiving Christ. And if you know Christ and there's something you need to repent of, would you give that to him this morning as we pray? Father, we thank you for your wonderful, gracious gift of love and forgiveness of sins. And Lord, we thank you for all that you have done and continue to do in our midst. Lord, as we go to this time of invitation, a time of really just response to see or Lord, rather to, to respond to what you're already doing. And so Holy Spirit, we pray that if there's anything in us that needs to change, that we would be conformed to the image of Christ and re repent of those things, turn from those things, find the forgiveness and grace that is available, receive them for ourselves, that we might live in agreement and in accordance with your will. Father, again, we thank you for your glorious, glorious grace. Thank you for your word that goes before us, that is the foundation of our lives. And I pray, Lord, that we would be attentive to what you have for us this morning. Lord, in all these things, we give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. Work in all of this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we sing a song of invitation? Would you respond as the Lord leads in whatever way he's guiding you? And let's worship him this morning as we sing.